The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. both opposition groups in in South Africa and the South African public do not support the ANC's position on the Ukraine-Russia war. Um, I think that in terms of the public, I think they would like to see more of the position that other African nations have taken, which is to be non-aligned, but not to go out actively attempting to look like you are very much um, a close ally of Russia, which is what the ANC government has been doing. I'm Tyler McBrien, Managing Editor of Lawfare, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, June 30th, 2023. On Thursday, South Africa's Department of International Relations confirmed it would host the 15th BRICS Summit in August. Normally, this wouldn't make news. But because South Africa is a signatory to the International Criminal Court, the country is obligated under international law to arrest one of the summit's invitees, Russian President Vladimir Putin, the moment he sets foot in Johannesburg. This presents South Africa with what Nasmat Badamosi has dubbed a Putin problem. I sat down with Nasmat, a multimedia journalist and the writer of Foreign Policy's Weekly Africa Brief, to discuss this diplomatic dilemma, why US-South Africa relations have withered in recent months, and the incoherent Russia-Ukraine peace mission led by President Cyril Ramaphosa just weeks ago. We also discussed what the late Eusebius Makaiser has called South Africa's, quote, nonsensical non-alignment since the Russian invasion of Ukraine last year, and what non-alignment even means in light of the war. It's the Lawfare Podcast, June 30th. Nasma Badamosi on South Africa's Putin problem. Nasmat, I want to start with more recent news events of the recent, quote-unquote, peace mission that Cyril Ramaphosa and other African leaders embarked on just a few days ago, one that you characterized as failed in one of your recent foreign policy columns. Can you tell me a bit about why Ramaphosa and some other African leaders went to Russia and Ukraine, what they were hoping to accomplish, and what happened? I think from the sort of African position, the Ukraine war has really impacted a lot of countries in terms of um, grain and fertilizer prices. And I, I, I think from their point of view, you know, Africa has maintained this non alignment, this neutrality in the war. And they felt that they were in the right position to try to attempt some sort of 
uh, de-escalation of this war. Whether, you know, they they were the right group of leaders to be attempting that um, <laughs> remains up for debate. But, you know, that was very much their position um, in terms of this peace mission. Yeah, and I would love to soon sort of disentangle uh, this neutrality and uh, get into some of the motivations for South Africa's neutral position, stated neutral position. But first, I want to get a bit more details about the peace mission. Do you know exactly what they were proposing to both Ukrainian President Zelensky and and uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin? Yeah, so they had a 10-point de-escalation plan. It was actually very much in um, uh, more pro-Ukraine than it was pro-Russia. So um, they were asking for the withdrawal of Russian troops from occupied Ukrainian territory, for um, Russia to respect the UN Charter on Sovereignty, and for the return of children taken from Ukraine, but also I think another another kind of uh, part of this which made it slightly confusing was that there was some economic points that they also wanted, which was the the free flow of uh, grain and fertilizer to the global market. Yeah, and and one more point on this peace mission in your foreign policy. Africa brief, you mentioned that you felt that the timing of this was, quote, disastrously misjudged. Could you speak a bit about why, at least from the outside or from perhaps the warring parties view, that this may have been a bit of a a misfire on timing? Well, the Republic of Congo's um, president, Dennis Gusso, he decided not to actually go ahead and, and, and come to this, um, you know, attend this peace mission because he he decided that it wasn't the right time given that, you know, Ukraine has just launched its counteroffensive. You know, he lobbied very hard for the other six African nations, you know, to delay this peace mission, but he wasn't successful. And I think for a lot of people, it just didn't make sense that this peace mission was happening at this time. It was very clear that both sides were not going to negotiate. And as I'm sure um, many listeners very well know, this latest peace mission was just the latest in a series of perhaps confusing diplomatic moves by South Africa uh, and some of its neighbors. Could you take us back to the time of the invasion of February of last year and sort of walk us through some of the key events or flashpoints in South African relations toward either Ukraine or Russia? Um, What have been some of the biggest points of contention between perhaps some of Ukraine's Western allies and South Africa with with regard to South Africa's behavior or um, allegations against it uh, since the invasion? Well, I think Cyril Ramaphosa has up until the peace mission not called the war a war, which um, has obviously been a point of inflection for Zelensky, President Zelensky. You know, only at the meeting, you know, the, the, the peace mission meeting, did he actually refer to it for the first time 
um, as a war. It's always been as a conflict. Um, so what that's one of the, the, the major issues. But I think, you know, South Africa has been very confusing in its um in its stance on the Russia Ukraine war. You know, the ANC has long championed this um non-aligned movement. You know, this is the position of most African countries. So it's not alone in that. But to most observers, South Africa's relationship with the Kremlin is um, not neutral. Um, Its initial response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine was to to call on Moscow to immediately withdraw its troops. But it has since then actively gone out to, to sort of maintain this very public close relationship with Moscow. I think there is some history there in terms of of, of why its um, position is the way that it is. You know, it perceives um, this sort of US hegemony and it, and it has always advocated for the ability of African nations and leaders to, to be able to choose and, and not and have an equal voice in um, UN decision making. It has always maintain that there are problems with the way that the UN Security Council is organised and Africa not having a permanent seat at the table. And therefore, it has always, um, throughout the, the kind of UN voting um, on, on the war, it has abstained from votes to condemn Russia. What makes, I guess, South Africa's uh, position slightly different from the rest of um, um, Africa and, and African nations is that, you know, as I said, it, it seems to be going out of its way to have a very public, close relationship with Russia. It has um, undergone joint military exercises. Um, the head of its security has visited uh, Moscow just after, you know, the US accused um, South Africa of, of supplying arms to Russia. Um, again, that, you know, that was a misjudged move to sort of go ahead with that with that visit. Yeah, and you, you categorized really well this non-alignment. And uh, the, the late Eusebius McKaiser had called it a, a nonsensical non-alignment, um, mm. also in the pages of foreign policy. But uh, to some, it, it may be sensical. So, so I'm curious, you know, other than perhaps motivations of sort of defiance to U.S. hegemony, which is understandable on some grounds, and, you know, historical ties between the Soviet Union and the ANC, especially during the period of, of apartheid, what other motivations may be driving South Africa's neutrality, not so neutrality, perhaps, towards Russia in, in the face of, you know, overwhelming criticism from the West? What benefits may, may it be getting? Yeah, I think the, you know, to a lot of people, uh, South Africa and the ANC government is acting on what it perceives, you know, as this US hegemony. If we go back, there is some history there when it comes to the US having, you know, classified the ANC as a terrorist organization 
the international community having initially not condemned the apartheid regime in South Africa. But, you know, many feel that, you know, South Africa is is still acting as if it is fighting against this, um, the, uh, you know, against Western nations and the US government as it was during apartheid rather than the world as it is now. It's still stuck in this um, colonial era, which it feels that it must go up against what it perceives as, you know, really standing up for the multipolar order. I think that is what is really driving the ANC's uh, policy on Ukraine and Russia. But it doesn't make sense at all because Russia, its trade with South Africa does not, it doesn't even equal 1 billion you know, in, in 2022, the, the, the trade between the two nations was barely one billion. However, from the South Africa side, at, at the end of the day, there is three billion at stake in terms of exports to the US. And this is why most people, you know, struggle to understand the ANC position, it, it, it seems it is harming the country in terms of going after and continuing to go after this um, uh, sense of uh, being wronged in terms of, you know, what what the UN Security Council and, and the, the kind of decision making at the top should look like in terms of global affairs. And speaking of some of that hurt, what costs have already been incurred or, or may be incurred uh, against South Africa should the ANC leadership continue their stance toward Russia and Ukraine? Um, I'm thinking um, both in terms of um, geopolitically or diplomatically. I'm thinking, you know, most recently, South Africa not being invited to the G7 summit, for example, ostracization there. And then also, um, you know, perhaps economically, I'm thinking here of the recent letter from a bipartisan group of U.S. lawmakers urging punishment, essentially, uh, against South Africa? Yeah, there is the uh, preferential um, trade benefit with the U.S., um, AGOA, that is at stake if lawmakers um, in the U.S. sort of move to sanction uh, South Africa. Um, There is already kind of a sense that you know, the West is ostracizing um, the country in terms of whether it's invited to, as you say, um, summits like the G7. But, you know, as I said in, in, the, in the piece for foreign policy, those things are happening. But there, there is a slight caution in that because um, South Africa holds a great amount of weight in Africa, and it is um, one of the strongest uh, voices when it comes to the continent. Therefore, the kind of ostracization of South Africa by the West could in the long term harm kind of Western relationship with Africa as a whole, as a continent, which is already um, starting to diminish 
when you think about the amount of influence that the West has, say, versus, you know, someone like a, a nation like China. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. Want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. It was shortly after I started using the service back in 2022, and they sent me their first privacy report. I have since gotten eight others, and it contained some shocking information. They had removed my data from 56 separate data brokers, that this had included 133 separate records, including 621 individual pieces of personal information. Uh, the data broker with the most information about me was a company I'd never heard of called People by Name. And here's the thing. Since then, every couple of months, I've gotten another privacy report from Delete Me, and it always contains more information that they have removed from the data brokers about me. In the second report, they informed me they had removed my stuff from 41 data brokers and that the one with the most information about me was called HLEC. I have no idea what HLEC is. So the other day, I got my latest report and it includes 15 more data brokers with my personal information, 113 pieces of personally identifiable information, Big culprit this time is something called my life. Well, I want to tell you that they don't have my life anymore. And that is why I recommend Delete Me. As this little anecdote shows, there's a lot of my data out there. And these companies keep acquiring it and making it available to anybody who can pay. And I have uh, slept a little bit more easily ever since I found a solution to this problem. And I want to stress, as I do every time, that I started using this before Delete Me started advertising with Lawfare. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. And that's the point of this little story, that you know they keep coming back. You can get it removed once, but they'll put it back. And then Delete Me comes and takes it off again. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. 
Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports, just like the ones I've been describing, showing what info they found where, where they found it, and what they removed. And critically, as this story reflects, it isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. It does all the hard work of wiping you and your family's personal information off the web. Data brokers hate Delete Me, which is why I like it. Your profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use promo code LAWFARE20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20 and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. Yeah, I thought that was a, a great point in your foreign policy article, This that there is at least some element of, you know, as South Africa goes, so goes the continent um, in terms of the United States perhaps overplaying its hand if it were to, you know, seek punitive action, uh, at least economically against South Africa. But thus far, we've, at least I've sort of been talking about South Africa and the ANC as one and the same, you know, I think for good reason because the ANC is, is still in power. But I'm curious about any any domestic dissent against South Africa's policy toward Russia and Ukraine, either from rival parties like the DA or the or the EFF even. Um, but then also, if you have a sense among um, you know South African people, if if they support these policies largely or not. Um, I think that's a very uh, uh, quick answer, which is that both opposition groups in in South Africa and the South African public do not support the ANC's position on the Ukraine-Russia war. Um, I think that in terms of the public, I think they would like to see more of the position that other African nations have taken, which is to be non-aligned, but not to go out actively attempting to look like you are very much um, a close ally of Russia, which is what the ANC government has been doing. Um, I think that most South Africans feel that it is harming their economy and also that the ANC is not focused on domestic issues of which South Africa has a lot of um, problems in terms of economy, in terms of um, energy, in terms of climate change. So um, I I think a lot of people feel that perhaps the ANC government's attention is in the wrong place. And there is an election next year that Cyril Ramaphosa will be looking um, to be, you know, he's he's looking for re-election. So that, I think, also plays into why this peace mission was so um, important to the NC government. I think it was more about trying to show that it is not 
pro-Russia and it is very much um, looking towards ending the war and restoring good commodity prices and things like that that will help the um, South African economy. But unfortunately, that is not what happened at that peace mission. Therefore, you know, the ANC government is going to face a lot of challenges when it comes to um, election year in 2024. Yeah, that'll certainly be an election to watch. I'm also, I want to make sure we mention what you have called South Africa's Putin problem, um, specifically with regard to the International Criminal Court's arrest warrant for Putin and the upcoming BRICS summit. Can you give a bit of context there? What diplomatic dilemma uh, Ramaphosa has found himself in there? And what solutions are on the table for South Africa to, to get out of that diplomatic dilemma? Yeah, so um, the South African government has um, invited Putin to the BRICS summit. Um, Putin hasn't actually confirmed whether he will be attending or not. But the dilemma is that, you know, South Africa is a signatory to the International Criminal Court's Rome Statute. So it, it has to arrest uh, Putin if he comes into the country. And it's been trying to find ways of avoiding having to do that. So, um, so far, it's considering um, either moving the summit to a different country, hosting the summit online, or it is coming up with, with different laws so that it can find a workaround um, the latest law is to give diplomatic immunity to all summit attendees um, as a way of getting around attempting to arrest Putin. I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, South Africa has been in this position before. It's not new to it. You know, it failed to arrest Omar al-Bashir in 2015 when he attended the African Union meeting um, in Johannesburg. And, you know, again, that was in defiance of its ICC um, obligations. At the time, you know, South Africa said it would withdraw from the International Criminal Court. That is something that uh, Ramaphosa uh, very recently again floated and then um, pulled back from and and you know the, the South African officials then said that, that was not the case they were definitely staying in so again on on the it's kind of Putin problem it's it has been following this very very confusing um, strategy of finding ways of of basically not meeting its obligations and you know at the end of the day it has to he uh, you know the South African government has to arrest Putin if he does come to the summit in August. I think one common narrative that at least I've noticed among Western media outlets especially US media outlets is this idea that uh, Russian propaganda in the South African media fuels anti-Western sentiment or at least anti-US sentiment. 
I think it, it, it's pretty clear that it's a, that's a uh, oversimplified <laughs> narrative, mm-hmm. um, one that's quite convenient to um, I think Americans in, in thinking. So I'm curious if there's any any truth to that, uh, and then what might the more complicated story of that be? Yeah, I think you know not just for South Africa, but for a lot of African nations, actually, that perception is, as you call it, very oversimplified. Um, I don't think that. African leaders, uh, governments, or even the public is basing their perception of Russia on Russian propaganda. It does exist. Um, Nobody is denying that it exists. But I think a lot of uh, what is happening with Russia and um, sentiments towards Russia are more to do with Western policies and um, more to do with the positions that some African nations, including South Africa, find themselves. And I think it's more of a, a sort of a rejection of policies that haven't worked in countries rather than to do with Russia itself. Absolutely, yeah. That's a much more nuanced explanation, I, I think, than what than what I think we've become accustomed to, we being uh, American consumers of, of media. I, I want to also make sure we mention the one big thing looming, I think, over this conversation that ha- we haven't quite mentioned yet, which is China. Um, how, do, how do South African relations, trade relations, diplomatic relations with China factor into this calculus in this story? Obviously, you know, China is also um, a member of BRICS, along with South Africa, But crucially, it is its biggest trade partner, as China is with most African nations. So I think that its relationship with China is more important than, uh, for example, with, with other nations. And you sort of get a sense that a lot of uh, nations, African nations, including South Africa, are attempting to be more aligned with China in terms of uh, their foreign policies and in terms of the the, the kind of choices that, that they make. Yeah. And as we near the end here, I'm curious your thoughts on non-alignment in general and the possibility of remaining non-aligned in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, as I mentioned before, UCBS McKaiser called it nonsensical non-alignment, but I think many have been making the argument that there is no non-alignment um, right now. It's not It's not possible to pursue that path. What do you think that the Russia-Ukraine conflict and South Africa's experiences thus far navigating it say about what it means to be non-aligned in 2023? I think for... African leaders, they would say that it pays to be non-aligned in terms of um, not having to choose who your trade partners are in terms of being able to, you know, deal with Russia, deal with um, the US and China on an equal footing. I think part of the problem with that, which I think I think often gets lost um, in the West, is that prior to the Russia-Ukraine war, a lot of um, kind of food imports into Africa, for example, South Africa, 
actually came from Russia. So in terms of um, dealings on on food, you know, Russia is a very, very important um, country to most African nations. Therefore, they do not want to stop being able to import cheap goods from Russia. Therefore, you know, it makes sense on an economic um, level to be non-aligned. But I think in terms of the public looking at what is going on in Ukraine and looking at the devastation and the fact that, you know, South Africa has a government and most African nations have always maintained that they will always support the the underdog, as it were, you know, the, the non-aligned movement at its very core was about, um, you know, supporting human rights. South Africa has always, you know, when we look at, at things like the uh, Palestine, you know, they've been very, very much about, you know, a bigger, stronger nation not taking over a smaller one so it, it, it that's why it doesn't make sense from an African perspective to then say you know we're going to be non-aligned on this from the African public you know Russia is the aggressor here well I think if this conversation is any indication there's a lot going on in in African relations today uh, in African international relations and there's a lot more on the horizon. And I can personally say that your your weekly Africa brief has been invaluable in, in helping at least me make sense of what's going on. So, uh, Nos, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare Podcasts by becoming a Lawfare material supporter at patreon.com slash lawfare. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for other shows, including Rational Security, Chatter, Allies, and The Aftermath, our latest Lawfare Presents podcast series on the government's response to January 6th. Check out our written work at lawfaremedia.org. The podcast is edited by Jen Patia Howell, and your audio engineer this episode was Ian Enright of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thanks for listening.